Over the the next six weeks, today is week one, uh, over the next six weeks we're looking at people who had encounters with Jesus. And the purpose of this series uh, is to not just get a better understanding or more head knowledge about the circumstances, uh, but the purpose of this series is to see how did Jesus treat people when they encountered him? What impact did it have on their life? How did Jesus speak to the people, the groups of people when he came across them? And how do we encounter Jesus in our life? How do we encounter Jesus in our life? I don't mean up at the civic roundabout where you can see the city standing in the middle and like a giant light of beams shining down on you. And that I'm not talking about that sort of encountering Jesus. But in the everyday of prayer and taking time to be still and be quiet and feel that direction that God is leading me to something when the overwhelming sense of peace comes around on you about a decision that you need to make. When you just know that the burdens that we've been talking about this morning is, is just lifted off your shoulders. When there is physical healing on your life, How do we encounter Jesus in our everyday life? And what impact is that having? What are those encounters with Jesus? What impact then is that having on the way that we live? So that's really what we're trying to get out of this next six or so weeks. And today we start by looking at community. Uh, Encounters with Jesus looking at community and there's groups of people in this story and I'm sure you might have heard this this passage spoken on before um, and, and it might be a sermon on faith um, or a sermon on different things but we're looking at this as an encounter with Jesus and we're looking at community and there's three real groups of people, three community groups I guess that encounter Jesus in this story. And we want to look at them. Not long after Jesus, uh, not long after Jesus was rejected in Nazareth. Nazareth was where he grew up, born in Bethlehem down south, uh, up in uh, raised in, in Nazareth. You might say, "Well, I've never used the pointy thing." Oh, look at that! <laughs> I feel like a lecturer now. You'll see Nazareth here is in red. And Capernaum is up here, which is the, this is the Sea of Galilee and, uh, and Capernaum just on the northwest tip, uh, a fishing village. And now I can just, Sam, if you're, you're falling asleep, I can just wake you up with the laser. Anyone, no. <coughs> but you, we would have read previously that, uh, earlier, just before this time, Jesus was, uh, declaring who he was. In Nazareth, and he quoted from Isaiah 61, 
And they rejected him. And he left Nazareth and he made Capernaum his home. It's about 50 kilometres. Just a, a, an afternoon jog for me, the, the double marathon. It's what I usually do on the weekends. But it's probably a good day's walk away from Nazareth as you walk, go up to the northwest tip of the Sea of Galilee. But Capernaum then came Jesus' home. As I said, it's a fishing village and his disciples, the home of his, some of his disciples, Peter, Andrew, James and John. And it says there in, when Jesus, again, he had come, he had come home, it says in verse one. He travels around, he comes home to Capernaum. And we have in that place, in that context, we have these groups of people. We have a crowd. A crowd following Jesus. He's doing miracles. He's pretty popular. Pretty well known. We have a crowd of people. We've got teachers of the law. The, the religious leaders. They're there. There's a group of them. And we've got this paralytic man and his friends. And as we look at this story, but not just this one today, but over the next few weeks, I, I hope you can bring your imagination to church and place yourself 2,000 years ago into this story and into the stories in the coming weeks. And as we look at Jesus' encounters with people and today community, to challenge yourself and ask yourself, where am I in this place? Where do I fit into this story? What are my attitudes like? What do, what's the way I behave? How do I think? And it's not a defin- it's not trying to just define you by this one story, but just to give you that experience to say well the application comes out of this story it's going to come out about how you see yourself in your encounters with Jesus and how you relate to what we read about here in the passage the first the first community I want to look at is the crowd And what we see here is a curious community stands by and watches. A curious community stands by and watches. Why is the crowd there? Are are they there because they're disciples of Jesus? Are they there to um, preach the good news as Jesus is preaching? Are they all there to be healed? Have they come in faith? Don't think so. It's not what we read. We're not reading here of a mass conversion or a mass following, a mass baptism. In fact, I would suggest that they're there for a bit of excitement. They don't have the, the footy, Phil. No footy back then, 2,000 years ago. No Netflix. <clears throat> no Celebrity Apprentice. 
Oh, Celebrity Apprentice. Love, love Sunday to Wednesday, Celebrity Apprentice. Anyway, they want to see a miracle. I suggest they want to see a miracle. They want some excitement. They're there for the, their self-interest. They're there to see something amazing happen. All this hype about who Jesus is. And a crowd gathers. A curious community. As they stand by and watch, I couldn't help but think they don't really care less. They don't care. They don't, they couldn't care less. You see, they don't care about the paralytic man and his friends. Here comes this group of, this community. They're coming along in faith. Says the crowd wouldn't let them through. Why don't they care? Why don't they care? You know, I don't think it's only true of then, but also true of today. That there are those that are curious. Curious about the supernatural. Curious about hanging around with the fringes of, of Jesus' followers. People are curious about how someone can change their life around so much. But they never have a desire to believe by faith in Jesus as their Saviour and Lord. There's a curiosity about the supernatural but often there's just no faith, there's no sacrifice in their own life. No obedience to a kingdom lifestyle, a kingdom agenda. And I think we have a curious community. Um, it's everywhere. People that are there for themselves and they don't care. Secondly, there's a critical, a critical community. A critical community that blocks the way. Yeah, the, the Jesus is continually met with opposition and the opposition comes from the religious people. Doesn't make sense. But here they are, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, Teachers of the law as they're described here. And just as the curious community don't really care less, the critical community are truthless. The critical community are truthless. You see, they are so focused on lording their power over people, lording their position over people, they reject God in flesh. They reject him. The truth. They reject him. They're so narrow-minded about what the prophets foretold. Daniel and Jeremiah and Isaiah. That when Jesus talks about who he is from the prophets, 
They embrace him? No, they want to kill him. They want to kill him. Because the Messiah that they're after, they're hoping will increase their power, increase their stature. But Jesus, his leadership is all about sacrifice. His leadership is about service. His purpose was to give his life. Uh, That doesn't match well with the leaders of the time. The the religious leaders, well, that's not what we're about. (laughs) Jesus coming along telling us he's God in flesh and he's here to save and serve. That's not us. That's not what we're about. And they reject the truth of Jesus. Jesus told the rich young ruler, if you want to follow me, sell all you have. Nah, not doing it. Not doing it. And so here they are at the front of the crew. This community, this critical community that blocks the way. Here they are at the front of the queue. You know, the, the, the crowd wasn't that willing to, to, to let those that came with faith with the paralytic man to let them through. But I'm sure the religious leaders that had their clothing and their stature about them would have just walked right on through, right to the front and sit around to judge and to tell everyone what's what. And in that day, the in the context of that time, uh, someone who was paralytic or uh, someone who had disease, leprosy, uh, it was uh, considered that a consequence of their sin. And of course we know, yes, death and, and disease, all that is a consequence of sin, but not a consequence of personal sin, which is the context of this time. Oh, you've got leprosy, it's because you've done something bad. It's a terrible judgment, it's a terrible theology. So Jesus, seeing their faith, that the, the people that brought the paralytic man, says your sins are forgiven. And theologically, the, the, the guys here, the, the religious leaders, this critical community, ask the right question this time. Who can forgive sins but God alone? That's true. Good question. But you see, in asking that question, Jesus knows their intent. They don't recognise Jesus as God. They don't recognise or acknowledge who he is. And what we see as a priority from Jesus is that he wants us to be made right with God through the forgiveness of our sins as the highest priority. And just as Jesus dealt with the man's sin first, So that should be the highest priority in our life. 
Firstly, is Jesus my saviour? Is he my Lord? Or am I just in part of the crowd here for a feel-good experience? Secondly, where's my heart at? If there is sin in my life that I'm ignoring and not dealing with, am I just allowing it to go on and on? I think in the religious leaders' minds, it would be easier to say, forgive the sins. Because it's not, it's not one you can instantly, critically analyse as actually happened. It's an inward experience that speaks to the heart and the attitude and the conscience of a person. They're so interested on the miracle of healing. Their priority isn't on the inward attitude because theirs stinks. Truthless. I thought about this point for a while and um, I know it might not sit well with some people, but give me a, a chance to explain through it. God isn't intending on us to live forever. Physically, I mean. God isn't intending on us to live forever. You know, I, I know, I believe that God can do anything. I, I do, I believe that. I believe God can do anything. Uh, spiritually, in the spiritual context, absolutely. And in the physical realm, I believe it. I absolutely believe it. We're going to hear some stories about that in the end of this series, Chris and Jodie McDermott that I've spoken to you about um, in sharing their testimony in their ministry in Thailand uh, that, is, that is just so encouraging. But I believe God is much more interested in our eternal destiny. I believe God is much more interested in forgiveness of our sin, in a changed heart and a changed life and a transformed life that we live day by day by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, there's always going to be sickness, uh, physical, mental, ill health. And we have amazing medical facilities just on our doorstep. And that in itself, I think, is a miracle. The technology that we have to ensure we have good health and live a long time. Just a couple of weeks ago, we had uh, the um, first aid training, uh, CPR, and there was a bunch of us here that did that training to keep updated and, uh, the, 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 you know, that has just changed so much just over the last 20, 30 years and, and improvements in, in uh, you know, create, uh, bringing oxygen to the brain. Uh, do you remember how many minutes, Steph, for the no oxygen to the brain? Surely you haven't forgotten after two weeks. Maybe. 
All right, I won't put you under any more pressure. I think it was four. My uh, my brother-in-law, his his granddad just passed away this week. A hundred and four years old. A hundred and four. It's quite a quite a life. A man who loved God and was a yeah Christian guy who had faith. And I know there's been times, uh, times in his life, uh, especially over the last sort of 15, 20 years, where health hasn't been that good. And we pray for him. And prayers have been answered. And he has pulled through in times of ill health. And we have prayed that, Lord, you take this away, this health, take this issue of breathing, take this issue of whatever it was he was facing. But you know, Paul's grandfather was never going to live forever. 104 is much higher than what most people would live. When, uh, when my, my dad's mum was very unwell, a number of years ago now, uh, she was in a maybe late 80s, early 90s, and she was in a place of of uh, of not being able to to speak, communicate, but she was still alive. Um, a Christian lady who had faith in God, and I vividly remember um, with my siblings and. My dad being at her bedside uh, in prayer. We, we weren't praying for healing. We were praying that she would be taken quietly and painlessly into the eternal presence of her saviour. And this isn't a, a this is not a, a statement of, of, of prayer for the sick is not necessary. But I'm trying to as I was thinking this through this week, trying to grasp how does God want us to pray? How does He want us to react? How does He want us to respond in these circumstances? That prayer for my nan was answered within the hour. And next week, as we discuss encounters with Jesus, Andrew's bringing a message on healing. But I recognise, and I'm not preempting anything Andrew's going to say next week, but I recognise the priority from from Jesus. Priority from our Creator is not on the physical. Although Jesus does that. Not just in this story, but many times. Yeah, he's, he touches the, he touches someone and they're healed. Because I, I recognize over much of my life, it has so much prayer when it comes to someone is, is about the physical. The 
physical needs um, and, and the physical body and healing. Uh, and again, it is important. That is necessary. But as I thought about it, what's the priority here? Because the physical is not going to last forever. And I think the priority from God and the priority from Jesus is about eternal life. It's about the spiritual. And that is only made possible by the way, which is Jesus. And a critical community, as we see, the truthless community blocks, blocks the way. The last point I want to make and the last group of people we're going to look at it is a caring community. A caring community carries others to Jesus. You know, there's no backstory sort of given about these guys and the paralytic man, um, but I imagine the discussion from the four men and the paralytic man, I, I imagine it would have gone something like, um, hey, we're not just going to sit here and do nothing. I, I believe that Jesus can heal you. And, I mean, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty striking that this guy had, as a paralytic man, had these four sort of awesome friends in that context. But they're not just friends. They're friends who have faith that he can be healed. And so they take him and they can't get through the crowd. They go believing he can be healed and they weren't deterred uh, by the, uh, the curious crowd. Their faith was persistent. And they go up the side of the house and they dig their way through uh, what would have been um, um, two or so feet of, of sticks and mud. The, the pictures we often see in the children's books are like, you know, a nice square bit of, of tiled roof or colour bond roof steel that's just been cut out, you know, with an angle grinder. And they just, but that's not the reality. This persistent faith, digging through this mud and sticks. And they went to Jesus for a miracle of the physical, didn't they? They had faith. Jesus can heal this physical disease that our friend has. And Jesus took it up a notch and made a miracle of the spiritual a change for eternity for this man. Change him from the inside. Forgive him. Give him peace in his life. Not just because they rocked up, but they went with faith. James 2 says to go that faith without deeds is dead. Faith without deeds is dead. Their faith is firstly seen in the way that they cared for him. 
And then that faith has had a, uh, in the consequences of, of what Jesus did to this guy's life, that has had a massive ripple effect. I'm sure that he didn't just get up and uh, wander quietly back to his house and his village or wherever he was from and just quietly go into the corner and sit and read. I imagine he went jumping and leaping, not only displaying what Jesus has done to him physically, but describing what Jesus has done to him spiritually. caring community carries others to Jesus you know I know we're not we're not perfect here at Monty we're getting there pretty close but we've got to let people in like oh who's I going to pick on <laughs> nah I won't say anyone but I, I, I have, you know, been here for like 30 odd years or ever, give or take a few away. Um, there's so much care in this church. You know, just this year in, in playgroup, I can't remember if it's a Monday or Tuesday, Jane will tell me, um, a, 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 a mum, who had her kids here, who doesn't, she finished up last year, she doesn't come to playgroup anymore. I think they've outgrown playgroup and they're off to school or whatever. Uh, had told her, I think she's an osteo, she told her patient about playgroup. So this is all happening, you know, without us knowing, it's all happening out there. And so this patient, Sadie, rocks up earlier this year uh, and I think she's driven all the way from Doreen, further out than Doreen, to come to playgroup because of this, what this lady has told her who she goes to see as her osteo. And I was amazed at that, that there was a, a you know, a person here who experienced playgroup and the the, the the ministry that that is and the care and the love of the volunteers and the people that in her life, out of playgroup, as she's working, she's talking about that environment to someone else. And uh, and then this lady lives in that distance away, travels to bring her kids here. And that is providing an opportunity for us to impact on her life and her family's life. Not just in the two hours here, but the... The, the opportunities that we have at Easter and Christmas and our playgroup Sunday to present the gospel. A caring community. You know, a caring community doesn't put a lid on its care. It doesn't put a maximum on its love. It doesn't draw a line on its compassion for others doesn't say, well, we've done enough. Let's not draw the line there. No need to be more gracious. Or, but that's not a caring community. Shows no limit. Just as Jesus didn't in his care and love 
for others. As we finish, my prayer for us here at Monty is that that continues, that that grows and develops even more. Because of that care, we as a community of believers will be drawing people to a saviour that wants to change people and save people. Father God, we do recognise you as our one and only God, creator of the universe and the creator of each and every one of us here. Lord, through the power of your Holy Spirit this week, will you please impress on us the need to be a caring community, people that draw others to you, that through our love and through our actions and through our words, through our life, we'll be describing to others who you are. Thank you for the opportunities of ministry that we have. May we not take them for granted, but know their opportunities to share the good news of Jesus. We thank you for the blessing of this morning, for our children who are learning from your word in kids' church, and our youth, and the creche, the young ones, who are being cared for and shown love. Thank you for those that are given their time to serve you and in serving you, they're serving your people. We thank you, Lord, for who you are and what you have done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Ev.